0: we should get some like awesome intro music, yeah, besides besides our normal intro music,
1: besides Koji Kanda or... yeah, I know,
0: <laughs> but like if we had some some electric guitar or like some famous amping song, and we could do a montage at the beginning, and then we I could,
1: gotta do a montage
0: exactly, yeah. anyway, hey, this is Rux from Bastion You're listening
1: to versus node.
0: Welcome to episode thirty-six of the versus node podcast. I'm Eddie Enzotto, your host and editor-in-chief of GamerNode.com, and I'm here with the GamerNode crew. First, I have Dan Crabtree.
2: Hey,
1: Eddie.
0: Hey. (laughs) And and we've got Mike Murphy.
1: Hey,
0: guys. As he swings from the mast of a pirate ship. (laughs) And last but certainly not least, returning, unlike Jason thought, with that F- raid <laughs> comments, Josh Robinson, how you doing, man?
2: Cowabunga! I'm I'm good.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, we are back, and after our last episode where we talked about, well, where, where everyone except me because I was super sick with a, a really nasty cold, talked about the PS4. We are jumping right back into our series on the previous generation of games and game systems, and this time we're going to talk about the best surprises and the biggest disappointments since, I guess, November twenty-second, two 2005, um, and we're just going to jump right into it and save the time. Um, Dan, let's, let's start us off with you. We're going to go with your... Your best surprise My
1: best of surprise. all
0: the years that we've been playing the 360, PS3, and we.
1: You know, the more I think about it, the more it's so obviously, dear Esther. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that Eddie doesn't want to talk about, probably because he doesn't like it, right? You were not a fan?
0: No, no. I was right. actually kind of looking forward to it, and then it, it was a disappointment for me. It was,
1: it was but, your disappointment. But I'm going to
0: let you have the floor for why it was a... Uh, sure.
1: So, yeah. I, I, and I'll try to be super brief. In my explanation of it. Um the, there are so few um purely narrative games out there. And when I say narrative, I I'm including ludo narrative, right? I'm including the what you discover by playing something, by doing something, but in a sense that all you're doing is movement, right? And that's your Esther and that's uh to some extent, a little bit my understanding is um, uh amnesia machine for pigs has that about it a little bit um but Dear esther is like straight up, no interaction with anything. This is just walk around and see this island and and hear this narrative um and The reason that I think it's a great game and an excellent surprise is because I assumed going into it that it would be like all of the other attempts. To, this, to do this things prior which were poorly written or written like video games and so they were basically like hey, bet you wish you could play this thing, you can't though, bye and what a huge letdown, right? That would be but this is a game that is written like a book, it's written like a novel and it should be because that's how it plays out it's like living inside of a book that has illustration is sort of how I see it. Um, and I think if you come to it with that perspective of thinking, hey, it's going to be a game and I get to do something other than observe and uh, and take in, then um, then yeah, yeah, you're definitely going to be let down <laughs> for sure.
0: Well, perhaps this is a good time to, to note that when we talk about biggest or best surprises and, and worst letdowns, it largely has to do with our preconceived notions. So totally. I'm curious to know what exactly you were looking forward to with Dear Esther. What what were you expecting from the game?
1: Right, so what I was expecting was something, a very lackluster, like, like I had played some things like it before, indie projects, that were just, hey, here's this world and you can walk around in it, but it's basically a demo that doesn't have gameplay filled out in it, right? There's not really a story, there's not... And if there is, it's not very compelling and the characters are pretty uninteresting. The world is pretty uninteresting or a lot like other games. And this has none of that, right? The the world is um, an island on the coast of Scotland. It's very bleak. It's unlike other games. Um, And it's also very bizarre because the narrative and the characters are also very bizarre. And when I say bizarre... I guess I more so mean that they're abstract, that nothing is definitively the way that it's described, if that makes sense. Everything is like a different shade of a metaphor of a different shade of a metaphor. Um, and so there's like this whole bit of you're Paul and you're on the road to Damascus, the Bible story um, from Acts 9. and uh, But then there's also this confluence of this guy who got in a car crash with his wife and his wife died in the car crash because maybe he was drinking, maybe he wasn't. Um, maybe he, you know there's, there's something having to do with the abuse of pills or drugs. There's having to do with uh, a sea captain who landed on this island a while ago and the island was sick and he could see the sickness of the island. So there's just all these tons of layers and they're uh, conflated the entire time and described in such a way that you can't really tell them apart. And so it's it's basically saying the the game that you're playing now is no longer with your controller with your hands you're you're moving still but the game that you're really playing is the game that you play when you read a good novel you're figuring it out um, you're using your brain novel idea I know to, to figure something out to put the pieces together to solve the puzzle effectively I see it sort of as a puzzle game for which the answer is um, either unclear or non-existent or just so subjective that you can't really say what it is. Um, I love that. I mean, there's no way I could have expected that because nobody had done that before.
0: It's in interesting games. that you say that, that it's a puzzle because the puzzle really is just a puzzle of your own knowledge, right?
1: Totally, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. which,
0: which is a good way, a different way to engage with
1: games, I think. Right, and obviously super frustrating for anyone who bought the game and was like, "Bro, I'm trying to shoot some Scottish Highland cows, bro!" Like, obviously, that's <laughs> you're gonna be real stunned by the you know the aerial and my yeah. my dear darling Esther like obviously that's going to be a letdown for you. So I, I'm, I was very surprised that it did what it did so well. Um, and, nice. and I, I credit it almost entirely to the writing, uh, of, of behind that game. And the, the Chinese room did that was really well done.
0: Nice. Did Josh or, or Mike have any thoughts on dear Esther? Uh,
1: well,
2: I mean, like when I got the game, I, I really didn't have any idea what to expect. I just, I think it was like four or five bucks on Steam, and I'd heard, I heard decent things about it, so I just, I mean, I thought, what, what, uh, what's there to lose? But as I'm going around, I think you start out on a beach, and I'm just, I'm going around expecting to find someone. I kept thinking I was going to find some kind of NPC, but obviously, I never did, um, or at least um, so, so the time that I played
0: it. In the in the design of the game itself, it was a it was a letdown. Within your gameplay, not necessarily coming into the game,
2: right? And I guess that's because I mean, uh, I guess we're just so programmed in, in games. Like I can't think of any other game where there's just no one. Um, I mean, besides like Tetris and that kind of thing.
1: Gone um, home, bro. I haven't played it yet,
2: which I need to play. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But but you know, like it, it looks like somewhere where you would expect there to be someone, even though it's it's sort of like an abandoned kind of thing. I think I just had like um, I think I just had Skyrim stuck in my head. Oh, totally it, different experience. Oh, absolutely, yeah. but it, but just in terms of, of the visual look, it was kind of like you know it was kind of like a, a beaten down kind of you know yeah uh, rocky sort of uh, terrain. I don't know. It just just kind of reminded me of that visually, and I guess maybe that's what I was expecting. Like to have somebody to talk to.
0: Yeah. So not yeah. the fault of the game, not the fault of of your own. Just a, an unfortunate timing of you playing <laughs> yeah. these
3: game.
0: Okay. M- Mike, did you have anything quick before we
3: move um, on? Nope. I actually didn't play Dear Esther at all, so I have nothing that I could really contribute. Well, I say you're better off. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: Sorry. right.
2: So,
0: Dan, what uh, what's your biggest letdown?
1: Um, my biggest letdown of last year, last generation, but... It was out last year. It was Assassin's Creed 3, which my understanding is that Josh is going to disagree with me on this. Um, I'm going to
0: give out your address at the end of the...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what they did so stinking well in that game was creating the world. I believed every piece of the world that they created. I was like, yo, I am in Colonial America. This is unreal that someone has been able to transport me to such a living uh, model of what that looks like in all the different cities. That's incredible. That's an achievement. What's not an achievement is being able to do anything fun in that world. (laughs) It's just like, hey, we've, okay, so let's grant that I've assassinated people at least twice before, if not four times before, as one, with these mechanics, right? So let's grant that that's nothing new. So if I'm only doing that and there's nothing else interesting, there's no uh, incentive drawing me to explore the world, drawing me to... Uh, I mean, they have that one mansion that's like, hey, you should probably like make your mansion look pretty sweet, but there's no real draw to it, and, and, and um, I think the best... Mm. the best way to explain it is to look at what does well in that in that area, my most recent example being Assassin's Creed four, where you have very tangible, uh, very good reasons to explore and do activities and to to go explore this uh this island and then to fight this Spanish Frigate, and then to take this fort. There are very real, awesome reasons to do that. It opens up your map. It, um, uh, it it gives you access to better weapons. It makes your ship better. causes you to be able to go more places then and open up more forts and see more. I mean, the list goes on and on. Assassin's Creed 3, it was like, do it if you want to, I guess. This stuff is there, <laughs> but you don't need to. Not a big deal. Take your time. And I, <laughs> sort of like, well... Make me like convince me that this is a worthwhile thing
0: mm. uh,
1: okay. I, and and to say nothing of the story which uh I think you could you could get into it or you could not. I think that that's a that's more of a subjective thing, but I think sort of objectively they did not do enough to draw me into the world. I would be willing though to hear someone rebut me and and might even be convinced otherwise if someone made a strong enough argument
3: well i mean I don't know if it's simply because of the fact uh that the setting is basically the same area that you know I grew up in but just being able to run around like colonial america maybe it's also because I'm a bit of an american history um fan just being able to run around in that setting um and just run through all the all the trees and the woods and um find all those all the animals that were there and uh just watch um you know British uh patrols going through and watching trade happen and people going about doing their frontier land things out there in the open was just really fascinating to me. It wasn't so much the fact that the activities were what was keeping me going there, just the just the environment and my surroundings were were enticing me enough to keep running around and checking things out and exploring every nook and cranny and every little crevice. Um out there in the open world, um, and to the to the to um to counter argue or to argue your uh, your point about nothing being fun to do, I actually found the uh, the tall tale side side quests to be a bit of fun. Actually, that I wanted that I went and hunted down quite a bit. Like when you had to go find Daniel Boone, and he was like, "Hey, I heard there's this thing about a headless horseman." Um, but it might be a bunch of BS. So I want you to go around and investigate and see if you can find get to the bottom of it. I what? thought that was cool. I never found
1: that. That sounds awesome. I don't remember yeah. that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's probably it might be because I'm not sure if the game really announces it, which you could say is a problem. But no, Daniel Boone, assuming. Daniel Boone is just around uh, campfires at different points in the frontier where you find him.
0: Man, and he I bet tells finding him is a good surprise. <laughs>
3: <laughs> And he and he basically tells you about these tall tales and you have to go and investigate. I think one was like, That's cool. um, I think one was a, cool. actually about like Bigfoot or the Sasquatch. And you actually go and you just find out that it's a really big bear that people <laughs> just interpret as a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot. And the other one, like I said, was like they had the Headless Horseman and like a couple of other tall tales. I think one might have involved like uh, a believed witch or sorcerer in the woods. The, I found that stuff really cool to be able to, like, see how they decided to twist these, like, tall tales from, like, the frontier and these, like, supernatural stories of early colonial life uh, just into a side quest.
2: I, I got to go back and play it again because I, I completely missed all of that.
1: Same here. That sounds awesome.
3: <laughs> I would
1: totally play that. You know what? You know what I'm also realizing as I'm thinking about this is – Part I think my expectation was also part of the problem with this game. It was very high because of the demo from E3, right. which was also what they showed in a couple trailers. The Battle of Bunker Hill. You remember that segment of the game is it yep. unreal. It's incredible, right? They have this huge full scale battle, and there's you, this little guy advancing little by little, and then you take out a troop, and then you run up behind and you kill and in I mean, whoa! <laughs> like that's, they put all this time and effort into that one battle, and they never do it again. That's like and the they one showed time all good.
0: these new mechanics with the double kills and the hanging. Yeah.
1: And they're they told... like
0: not ridiculous ones. Not, because from the, the Assassin's Creed 2 series, you know, uh, Brotherhood and Revelations, all of the new upgrades just, to me, just felt superfluous and like doing more of the same thing in a more extravagant and stupid way. And I thought that with three, they were going to do new and interesting things in a new and interesting environment. So it, it really built up that expectation for sure. I agree with you.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it was one of those deals where they just showed their best hand.
0: Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: And so my assumption going into it is like, that's just a taste of what's coming, yeah. right? Yeah. And that was not the case. This was the, that was like the best mission of all of them. <laughs> so Which is unfortunate. Yeah.
0: Okay. Let's, let's move on to Mike's. Games, Mike's surprise and letdown,
3: like Dan's uh, uh, disappointment from uh, uh, my surprise also comes from last year. It was actually a a game of the year candidate, won in a lot of places, and almost won for us. I believe it just narrowly got uh, beaten by another wonderful game by the name of Journey. Uh, This game was The Walking Dead, the adventure game from Telltale. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I'm a huge fan of the comics, and I'm also a fan of the TV show, so when I heard that the game was coming out, I was excited but weary, because uh, The Walking Dead is a property that uh, its tone um, and uh, a lot of the, the things that happen in the comics really don't translate over well to video games or traditional gameplay mechanics. So, I was very unsure. I was like, oh god, this is going to probably be horrible. There's no way they can match the level of intensity and just messed up happenings that go on in the comics. And, like, this isn't like a run and gun kind of like shoot and kill zombies game, uh, like, like property or an actiony property. You really can't do all this. How is, how are they going to do it? And Telltale turned around and did basically exactly what makes the comic so good and made the zombies more about the setting than the threat and making the story be about the characters and how they deal with it. And then putting you in the driver's seat as, uh, as Lee Everett and having you make these kinds of tough decisions that you've either seen characters in the TV show do or read about and watched, um, witnessed in graphic novel form, characters such as Rick Grimes and crew uh, deal with in the comic. It's just, it was incredible. It was, it, it caught me, it caught me out of nowhere. I never expected uh, for a game to be able to capture that kind of drama uh, right. so well.
0: I would expect that most of us feel the same way. What do you, what do you guys think?
1: Yep. Uh, You know, I want to highlight the point that you made there, Mike, about the choice. I think that that was the most surprising thing is that they were willing to kill characters. And they're willing to make your decisions have so much weight where they have not had that much weight in other games almost ever, right?
0: They were willing to build off the system presented in Indigo Prophecy. And make it better.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there will. Yeah, totally. And and heavy rain, right? Where it's just well, it's all really kind of the same ending. Like no, like this ending is actually pretty different. Yeah, based on, based on what you like, choose, uh, it, which is pretty nuts.
3: Yeah, Telltale basically made the made it be like the choices aren't so much um, about the destination. It's more about how the characters react and interact to you along the way and how your journey goes along the way. Which, when you think about it, technically, the destination is never the ultimate goal. It's always enjoying the journey. Mm. Or, in The Walking Dead's case, feeling completely and absolutely miserable about how everything (laughs) is going on wrong around you during the journey. Yeah, so much emotion
0: in that game. Goodness. Okay, so what about... What about your biggest letdown? What, what sent you the other way with your emotions?
3: What sent you the, the other
0: same way, I guess?
3: <laughs> I get, yeah, well, <laughs> what, what made me more let down than anything this generation probably has to do with a game that came out uh, this gen, the only numbered game in the series by this gen. That's one of my favorite series of all time. Uh, I got very, very let down, as did a lot of other gamers with Final Fantasy Thirteen. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a Final Fantasy game in a little bit of the aspects, but in so many others, it just wasn't a Final Fantasy game.
0: I have to tell you, when thinking of these games, our surprises and letdowns, I completely forgot about Final Fantasy. That's how much of a non-experience it was for me.
3: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) The the phrases come like you know the, there's always been that phrase you know just wait until it gets good but only f- but only until like Final Fantasy 13 did in games that really become a huge joke like oh just wait after 25 hours it gets really good for the last <laughs> gosh three or four. wasn't that so bizarre
1: that it like actually did get good after such an insane amount of time.
3: Oh yeah! <laughs> like, how could you have that much of a game like, that's
1: not interesting, and then have like a little sliver at the end? It's not the, the
3: problems. The problems that fell with Final Fantasy XIII isn't even so much the linearity. I think people would have been able to forgive the linearity of it a little bit if it wasn't for the fact that the story was bland and that the characters were so stereotypical, such archetypes of just traditional or stereotypical JRPG. Um, roles or characters. Um, you've got the, like, you've got in Snow the overly eager and confident, like, like young male. You've got the uh, flir- flirty, over-the-top kind of girl in uh, Vanille. You've got the brooding, emo, like, 13-year-old teenage kid in, um, in Hope, which is a, a completely ironic name. Um, and it, it was just... And, and the rest of the cast, a lot of the rest of the cast was also, with the exception of possibly Saz and Lightning, were all stereotypes. Nope, oh, Saz the is the comic
1: relief. That's all.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Hey guys, it's yeah, Saz. He's got tea. a bird in his afro. <laughs> 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 the, <problem, laughs> the
3: problem with the rest of the cast is that they play their stereotypes out so badly. At least Saz is Saz played out his stereotype well, and it was actually amusing for a little while. The rest of the cast it just you 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 wanted you wanted the gameplay to be good enough to be able to get away to be able to distract you from the story and the cast, and you wanted the cast to basically to to distract you from the gameplay. The only things that i really enjoyed about the game, which is why I kept going and realized twenty five hours later, oh, this is what Final Fantasy is supposed to be like was actually was like the actual combat the combat and the leveling system were the only things that I really enjoyed in Final Fantasy thirteen um and I remember my friends playing ahead, and one or two of my friends actually beat the game ahead of me and was like, don't worry, don't worry, you'll play the game, and the ending is great, and you'll love it, and I'm like, okay, well, let me, let me just play through it, and they started getting good, and I played through the ending, and the ending was just bad. Ugh, I, I did depressing. not like the ending at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, it, it was it just one of your stereotypical, stereotypical, like kind of, like, happy endings where it's like, oh, we all believed in each other and now we did it and it's all <laughs> gonna be good except it's kind of not good because we've ruined our paradise and whatnot, so.
1: For what it's, it's worth, like, if you want a ray of hope, Final Fantasy XIV is actually quite a bit of fun if you like MMOs.
0: So get so get your hopes way up. <laughs> is what he's saying. Yeah. There
3: you go, yeah. No, no, don't worry. I'll get my hopes way up for Final Fantasy Fifteen because really that won't be terrible. Course, right, not. right. Anyway, I'm hoping,
0: Josh, make make us feel better. I mean, you only have to say the word to make Dan's
2: life light up.
1: <gasps> really? Is it true?
2: <laughs> Get them all hot and bothered. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Go ahead. All right. Well, my my surprise game uh, of I guess what is now the past generation. Was Bioshock, and that was the first Bioshock, not the second or Infinite. And it, normally that it's not a game that I would play. Actually, I didn't play it here until maybe like the past three or four months. Um, I waited that long, and it was only Damn. because <laughs> it was only because a friend of mine um, was getting rid of all of his games, and basically he was like being conversion to to Steam, so he was getting rid of games, and he gave me his copy of Bioshock. And, uh, you know, it's like, like I said, it's not a game I would typically play because it's got a lot of like horror elements to it. And I just don't do well with horror games. You get scared. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. About almost crap my pants sometimes. Um, But not literally.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: just had to make that clear. Um, <laughs> he does have so, control
0: of his bowels <laughs> um,
2: so anyway, you know, you start out, you come up in the bathosphere, and you you know you see like this kind of a fight going on in front of you, and I was intrigued, I was kind of worried, but I was intrigued and The more I played the game, um I wouldn't say that I liked the first half of it. I thought it was interesting, but I thought the first half of it. The story really didn't do it for me, but I was uh, interested enough in the leveling of the abilities to continue, and I guess when I hit about the halfway point, that's when you get to um, the guy in the theater. I can't even remember his name now. Yeah. Send that's when it Cohen. Cohen. Yeah, that's when it got really, really good, and so I, I didn't have any problem continuing the rest of the way, and I think I, I beat it within like a day or two. I like I played it all the way through. I didn't have anything to do, so... Um, I, after I beat it, I went through and I kind of like looked up some of the, uh, inspiration behind it, you know, the stuff with, um, Ayn Rand and of course the correlation with Andrew Ryan and all that stuff. And it was just really cool to kind of, uh, I guess to, to watch like these videos, YouTube videos where guys are like, you know, pointing out stuff that I completely missed as, as far as like references. And I just thought it was, it was really meticulously and carefully constructed, um, I just really liked the story the closer I got to the end. So, yeah, that was a big surprise for me. I I didn't think I was going to finish it. Um, probably, like, the first two hours, I was like, eh.
0: But it was really good. You're feeling all bad about yourself because you know you're supposed to
3: like it. There's <laughs> all this pressure. No, I'm kidding. Don't worry, Josh. You're, you're not alone because I felt the same way until <laughs> I, first, I saw Big Daddy first drive a drill through a slicer's heart. Uh, and then you were hooked. Yeah, that's all it takes. My heart.
0: Just, drill, just drill hearts.
3: <laughs>
0: he drilled straight into your
3: heart. Yes, he and did. filled it with it awesome. love.
0: Awesome. Now so, we're going to play a quick game. Before Dan speaks, yeah. we're going to say, Dan, you have 30 seconds. Oh well, 45 gosh. seconds to give your opinion <laughs> on Bioshock.
1: What is the game that we're playing? How long will Dan talk about Bioshock? <laughs> no, we're, playing, we're playing How Can We Limit Dan? Yeah. <laughs> I you know what, it. I was just, just going to say one thing, because you were saying, hey, I, the first half didn't do it for me, I could totally see that if you weren't picking up and paying attention to all of the audio diaries. If you pay attention to all of them, you get like just waves and waves of really well-written character and well-voice acted character, um, particularly Dr. Steinman and uh, Peach Wilkins and a bunch of those, Fontaine, all those other characters that are in there prior to Sander Cohen. So I would say if you want to enjoy the first half of that game, go back and actually listen. Or just go on Wikipedia and listen to those audio diaries and be fascinated by those characters. That's what I would say.
0: That's under 45 seconds. That was 39 seconds. Woo! Bing, bing. Good, good work. <laughs> I'm improving. Oh, cool. I think you've said everything there is to say about Bioshock already.
3: Nope. <laughs> okay. there will they be, never be barely, for Dan to say about Bioshock.: I get any
0: big ideas. Let's move on to Josh. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, so uh,
2: my biggest letdown was easily splinter cell conviction. Um, and I guess I should preface everything by saying it was not a bad game. It just was not the game that I was expecting. Mm. um it really more kind of like played out like an episode of like 24 or like one of the Bourne movies. Uh, I don't know. Like when I play Splinter Cell, I want to be hidden in the dark. I want my gear. Um, When I think like chaos theory is, you know, the best in that series in my opinion. And uh, you know, when you go and you start to play conviction, it's, it's cool for what it is, but I was continually just disappointed by what I thought I was going to get, and what I was actually encountering. And so, like, in terms of the gameplay, like, there were some cool things as far as, like, the the mark and execute mechanic, um, the cover system, um, the lighting, and, and there was really cool stuff to that. But um, and I remember before the game actually came out, they were actually talking about how, oh, yeah, you know, you can approach each situation however you want to. So if you want to go all stealthy, sure, you can do it. If you want to go guns and blaze, you can do it. That wasn't actually true, at least not in the playthrough that I had. I I found that I was kind of forced into just having to just shoot from the start. Mm -hmm. Um, They did, and I guess, I don't know, this is kind of a weird complaint considering how we feel about everything else, but it was really short. Um, I think it was like five or six hours for the single player. And I'm to the point now, I don't give a crap about multiplayer Um, at least online multiplayer. So good. And so, like, I've heard that people really like that. It's just, I'm just kind of burnt out on it right now. But the actual game itself, if you didn't have expectations of a Splinter Cell game, it would have been fine. But the fact that it was, um, I just had a lot of really different ideas of what it was going to be going in. So Yeah. Um, I think the expectation
0: now for that entire franchise is almost look at the multiplayer as the main component because they're it's having really good multiplayer components in all the new games.
3: Yeah. I also think it's I think for Josh, I think your expectations were set a little too high because you said that your last Splinter Cell experience before that or your last memory of Splinter Cell was Chaos Theory. And um for me personally, um I never played it, but from what I had seen of it and from the reviews I'd read of it, like my last experience, or the last taste in my mouth of Splinter Cell, was from Double Agent,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: which was notoriously the low point of the series. So going from con- from Double Agent to con- uh, Conviction for me was really, like, kind of uplifting because my my bar had already been set pretty low thanks to Double Agent, and I was like, we are probably <laughs> never going to get a Chaos Theory again with Splinter Cell, so let me just take Conviction for what it is. And I, I did, I, I was pleased with it. I did fine with with uh, the stealth, and I didn't mind when I had to get involved in the action. And like I, like I said before, the cult was awesome, but you didn't play it, and that's not something important to you. So I can understand why, based on just a single player, I guess it was a disappointment to you.
2: Yeah, and I, I feel like Double Agent still had some remnants of Chaos Theory to it. Like it, it still, it felt like they were trying to to make it sort of a stealth game, but. Uh conviction, man, I just felt like I threw a lot of that out the window well um, yeah it just it was just completely disappointing. Josh,
1: mm. did you play the co op campaign? I did not. I would commend that to you. It's pretty excellent and and I think justifies what goes on in the single player, not in terms of like narrative or but all of the mechanics that you see play out in single player, where you're like, "Man, I really wish I had known about this light that I could have turned off, or I wish I could have reached this and then done this." Like co-op totally justifies that, in sort of the same way that Portal Two justifies co-op. It, like, good analogy. It 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 takes that core mechanic and it makes it make sense, right? Right. Uh. So that's and and it has a cool ending, which is neat.
2: Cool, yeah. I think things so. are
1: always good. I think
2: maybe the best way to sum up everything is just like, when I play Splinter Cell, I don't want anybody to know
1: I was there. Mm. Sure. Well, and I, yeah. and I think you know? that you can you can get away with doing that in co-op a lot easier. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: i have to try that out because I've still got my copy laying around somewhere. i have to see if anybody wants to play it.
1: Yeah. Well, you can do couch co-op too, which I was all about. Ah. Nice.
0: Yeah. That's the best kind of co-op yeah um i guess that that brings it to me huh
1: oh yeah what's
0: up? well here's a game with some sweet multiplayer my biggest and best surprise of the generation was demon souls weird sort of multiplayer but but i think i've spoken about demon souls plenty um I just fell in love with it. I, I didn't know what it was. I first heard about it from Jeff Matleff on Big Red Potion. He said he had imported a copy. I was like, I don't know what that game is. And then later on, I saw pictures and I was like, I'll get it. Um, big fan of dungeon crawls and the way that Demon Souls really just oppressed the player with this crazy, huge world and, and immense challenge where you had to be super careful of, of everything take each tiny step very slowly and and have your defenses up at all times and really prepare and and plan and use the combat system to intricately attack your enemies you know because you have controls with your left hand your right hand a strong attack a weak attack a directional attack, blocking, parrying. It's just a surprisingly deep game in all respects from from that control system to its inventory, the items and the weapons you could build with all the upgrades that were totally discoverable uh at, but not overt, you know, nothing was obvious about the game. You had to really work to earn your rewards. It was it was basically just a, a perfect game for me in, in a lot of ways, um, and I had no idea that it was coming. So th- th- it just basically blindsided me with awesomeness.
1: It you know. I'm. I it is a sadness in my life that I've not gotten into that because it sounds so well designed, like so thoughtful Amazing. in the way that they put the pieces together. I don't love the idea of being oppressed. Mm. <laughs> but, well, I love horror, it,
0: especially. Right. It so has that sort of atmosphere about it, that it's like almost a horror game, but you're still like the hero yeah. with power. So it's like weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, they, they give you power, but not enough.
0: Mm. Right? That, that I, I guess, guess that's you know, the... If you play it for a while, you can see the game start to strike a balance where where you feel like you're in control of your destiny.
1: <laughs> oh, that's cool.
0: That's good. Um, so it's not like, oh my god, this is the worst thing ever.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I'll have to play it sometime. Did anyone else play Demon Souls? Nope. No. Nope. Uh, Will not do it. It was such a surprise. They didn't know
0: it was really... It
1: only hit the Anzato household. Eddie, how about, how about your uh, biggest letdown?
0: I had a couple but I'm going to go with uh, my old standby No More Heroes, man. Just forget that game. I I was so big on Killer 7 and I thought Suda 51 was like the best thing since sliced bread and I I was super excited for whatever this guy was going to do because after playing Killer 7, I think really the problem with No More Heroes is that Killer 7 existed. Um, in my world, anyway, because it was just so deep, so messed up. And No More Heroes kind of just gave up on all these psychotic intricacies of this man's crazy mind and, and ability to tell a story. I guess it's not sort of the same thing without telling it. Um, and then he just went to, like, dick jokes and, like, an asshole <laughs> character. Like, I hate Dante from uh, Devil May Cry. I hate Travis Touchdown. They're just characters that I cannot get behind. I think they're losers. Um <laughs> just their attitudes are bad and, and the gameplay in No More Heroes was definitively terrible for for an action game like that, a melee game. It was just so clunky and and stiff. Um the the missions in between missions, like the the jobs were just a joke and Just, I mean, you talk about oppression. That's the kind of oppression that I hate, is friggin' playing poorly designed crap. So that's where I got let
1: down. Yikes! (laughs) It's a huge letdown! It it sort of begs the question, do (laughs) do you have to like the character that you're playing as in order to enjoy it? No, but I
0: didn't feel like the game was telling me anything about this character. Like, there wasn't enough critique of the character either so in or if if i hate the character i feel like the game has to present that character in such a way that like you you're supposed to hate him and i feel like people give the game that credit that it was that it was commentary but i didn't feel it very much when i was playing and i kind of just think that it was not good sure yeah but i understand you know where that is a possible way to view the game. I just didn't didn't
1: click from. Isn't isn't that game something of a cult classic? Like a lot of people lot really of- really yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm what not- is, what's the argument for it? Uh, I, I guess you would you wouldn't know. I guess <laughs> I guess
0: it's it's Suda Fifty One is making commentary.
1: Okay, sure.
0: But I don't know. I think it just failed. how about you other guys was
1: was, was lollipop chainsaw supposed to be commentary (laughs) yeah yeah, that's it seems like another one where maybe they were trying to go for we're so edgy
0: I kind of enjoyed lollipop chainsaw more than no more heroes Really, I mean I must have I I, I don't talk about it like that
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think you I, I mean you're Burned though, also right because you just wanted Killer Eight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You didn't get it.
0: Yeah. So it comes back to expectation. You know what we want. Right. Huh. Anybody else have any opinion on No More Heroes?
1: I didn't play it, so I'm. I'm out of the. Did not play it.
2: I forget everything about it. It's <laughs> like it's because it's forgettable. I've got it. I've got a copy sitting uh, right there next to my TV, and I don't remember much about it. How much do you think that copy's worth? Mm, I don't know. It's it's not that
0: hard to find, is it? Okay, so if I pay you, will you light it on fire on camera and post it to our YouTube channel.
2: <laughs> uh, you can you can pay me to make a flash video of. <laughs> so no,
0: okay. All right. Well, I mean that's all of us. Uh, just just to round up, um, there were a lot more surprising games over the past eight years. And a lot more disappointments. So, if we want to just uh, mention any ones that that just pop into our head, just really, really briefly, anybody who wants to throw one out there. Oh,
1: sure. I will I will throw out the uh, Rayman reboot, starting with Origins, and then most recently Rayman Legends. Yeah, those- I, I did not play any of the original Rayman games. And so I started with Origins, and I was like, "Whoa, well, this is awesome!" I didn't know that we could do Donkey Kong without doing Donkey Kong. That's great. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Rayman 2 actually was really enjoyable for me back in the day. So I kind of like knew that it was a good franchise. but It, it disappeared for so long. In ter- yeah. Like there were other games in between, I'm sure, but they just weren't they weren't on my radar. So I agree yeah. with you.
1: Yeah, and that art style too. And it's blossomed now into UB Art, which does all the you know Child of Light and yeah, uh, Valiant Hearts and all the stuff coming up. So super cool. What else?
3: I'd like to throw in uh, Batman: Arkham Asylum for surprise. Yeah. Because before Arkham Asylum came out, nobody thought that a superhero or comic book themed game could be a Game of the Year candidate, let alone like a great game. Period. And uh, whenever when it came out, everybody was just like, "Oh, great, another another." crappy batman game that we're going to play for about like 10 15 minutes get upset with and then bring right back to GameStop and sell and it just blew everybody away it was true yes, to the comics yes. true to the characters the combat was revolutionary so many um it's become the mold for so many other um like action adventure games with just where it's just fisticuffs and no real weapons uh and it just it was one of the uh one of the standout games of the generation
0: yeah, definitely, and they kept doing it, and they're doing it pretty well. Um I'm going to throw out another disappointment. Brutal Legend.
2: Damn,
0: I was expecting something... So different, and you know, in this case, I think they kind of like hid it from us, you know, because they showed a lot of the all that action-adventury stuff, all these great characters, Jack Black driving around, big world, super animated, cool ideas, all kinds of awesome stuff, and then you get in the game and you play for like a few hours, and all of a sudden it's just what I considered just a poor real-time strategy that was just really awkward to play and. And really, just turned me right off, and I was sad and cried.
2: So I didn't play that game, but it w- it, it was an RTS.
0: <laughs> yeah, it turned into yeah.
2: one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. What the hell? I
2: was I just. I thought it was going to be like action adventure, like platforming, kind of like.
0: Yeah, it's so what I wanted. And this was again coming off of Psychonauts, you know. Yeah.
2: So.
3: Talk about poor marketing by Tim Schafer and company.
0: I think they were deliberately hiding
3: it. <laughs> like, oh, no, don't look over here. Look at all this stuff. Yeah, exactly.
1: I so. Just, like, why include that, though, if you know it's bad? Uh, maybe right? they didn't know it's bad. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he thought it was really cool. They
2: thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've got one to throw out for Letdown. Um would be Soul Calibur 5. Oh, uh, yeah think a good one. Did, uh, did did not like it. Um, it felt it, they just completely changed the pacing of the game. Like it used to be, I, I feel like it used to be a lot more about positioning, and um, it was it was not a slow game, but it's also not like the quickest. But then you get to five, and it's like they tried to make it like um, like like Blaze Blue or like like Street Fighter. Like basically, they like really emphasized. Having to do combos, and I didn't think it worked very well. It was yeah. very disappointing. But is I kind of like combos, though.
1: What, what were what, what would you say is the the size of Ivy's breasts in that game? That's how I judge the Soul Caliber <laughs> games. Um, the bigger they are, the worse <laughs> the game is. The more real, uh, no, the more recent I think,
3: it is. Yeah, I they've think only gotten bigger
1: at of- time. I think they've run out of
3: letters in an alphabet to classify IPs. Oh goodness! Just
1: don't
0: it's the dumbest thing. Just <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do one more quick round. One more game each. Okay.
1: There. Okay. Right. I'm I'm gonna break the mold here and and do something that we're totally not allowed to do. And I'm gonna say indie games, all of them. Good. I like that. Actually, that's okay. <laughs> we're not around before last generation, at least in the way that they've started to show up and are now like. Front and center like, as much as AAA games. Yeah, um, yeah. If I had to list specific ones, Castle Crashers, Bastion, Braid, Mark of the Ninja would be mm. what Journey. I would throw down on. Journey, yeah, great. Oh, yep. To the Moon, To the Moon, To the Moon, yeah. Oh, to the Moon. I mean, the, was the, list, of the, the list, the list goes on and on. Right? It's just now. Last to year, the
0: Moon. There's a narrative game that is way better than Dear Esther. I'm just gonna say that and stop there. <laughs> sure, we'll we'll leave
1: it there. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, All right, well, I'm going to throw out another uh, disappointment, I suppose, uh, and that would be Fable 3.
1: Fable 3.
3: Fable 3 started out really strong with such a huge decision that I had to make at the very beginning of the game, and then it proved to really not be all that relevant to the plot, and then the plot kind of took a huge downturn, and just, uh, I was so disappointed. Every single Fable game, I get excited and hyped up, hoping that Peter Molyneux is gonna finally like come through on a fraction of his promises. <laughs> and I'm left at the end of the game just crying, huddled in a corner in the fetal position.
1: Mm. If it's any consolation, goddess is shaping up similarly.
3: Yay. <laughs> <laughs> like oh. so <laughs> oh,
2: Fable three was bad, but it it wasn't um I don't know, I just kinda of felt like, like more of the same. Like Yeah.
0: There is just and, a point when when franchises get there, and I think it's different for each person who plays them. Like they get to that point where you are just sick of it, you know, at different rates.
2: Yep. And something about that game, it's sort of uh, I didn't make or break it, but I don't know if you remember, but like in Fable two, when you would buy uh, real estate, you would make money off of it, even if your console was off. Um, so we're like, you come back on and oh, yeah, yeah, it tells you how much you made. Well, Fable 3, you can't do that. So I ended up like to actually get the money I needed to do all this different stuff. I just ended up having to leave my console on like for like a day or two while I did other stuff. And so you paid I, for that in your electric bill. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> and so I I just thought that was really a strange uh, decision, Yeah. but the, another thing too, and this is maybe a lot of games here toward the end of the last generation. Is that I felt like um, the consoles were not powerful enough for the games they were trying to do because it just like there was so much you know so much of a lag in like the the frame rate at times. It just was not good about that either.
0: Right. So does that just leave? Well, actually, Jason wanted us to mention Catherine as a big surprise, and I agree that that game kind of like. Really did something different in a good way, and uh, I wasn't expecting it. So good on Atlas for that, for sure. Um, and did that just leave my last one? Yes. Yeah, I think so. All right, it's going to be the quickest one. Best surprise maybe that there ever was.
3: For I it. mean, a- apart from the
0: other one you did. Yeah. Braid, <laughs> no. um, of course. And I'll just leave it at that. It can't be a podcast on GamerNode without a mention of Braves. <laughs> I already <laughs> mentioned it. It doesn't matter. I already matter. said it. <laughs> it. Had to come out of my mouth, or I
3: you double nominated sleep.
0: it. Sure. I just I wouldn't sleep tonight if That's I didn't say it. That's uh, fair.
1: Anyway,
3: I'm at, I'm gonna tell you a biggest surprise for me would be if we could get through a podcast without Eddie mentioning Braves.
1: <laughs> or be talking about Bioshock. Yeah, I'm with uh, you. Yeah. One breaks. or the other.
0: But well, we can. Just don't have Dan or me on the show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we, can, uh,
3: we can do it whenever we want, Mike. We just choose not to. <laughs>
0: Back. Okay, here we go.
1: I don't have a problem.
0: Next podcast, I yeah. will not mention Braid.
1: Whoa.
0: I'm, Whoa. I'm making that vow right now.
1: <laughs> are you going to put right, something I, up on the
2: do, line? Like, Are
1: you going like, to get some money
2: on this? Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> <Do> <laughs> no. To to
1: the Let's over on
3: it. We want to bet minutes. I do
1: it by accident. In case I involuntarily go braid, like,
3: like,
1: <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna I'm just gonna bait him. So, <laughs> I'm be like, gosh, I wish there was a game that like really cleverly used a time mechanic to reveal an intricately developed narrative structure. And, ah, man, I just wish one of those existed, but yeah, there's not. So, <laughs>
0: all right.
2: Well,
1: this is a good
0: conversation. It's fun. Um, But next week we'll be back, or maybe in a couple weeks, whatever, with uh, another in the series of best, worst, most memorable, and just nostalgic romp through the now previous generation of consoles. Um, Please, uh, if you like what you hear, rate, subscribe, review on iTunes. And we're also now on Stitcher. That's a new thing for Versus Node. So uh, if you use Stitcher... Go uh, throw us on there. Um, also, go check out GamerNode. We've got all kinds of stuff all the time. You can follow Dan at Dan R. Crabtree on that's Twitter. It. You can follow Mike at underscore Merfo underscore on Twitter. And Average Josh is Josh Robinson, and uh, I am Eddie Inzotto, I N Z A U T O, because it's a weird Sicilian name. Um, and that's it. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks guys, and thanks for listening.
1: Adios! Bye! Pasta vajule! Pizza!
2: Delicious!
1: <laughs>